joining us. Good morning, Brighton Road. Very warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us this morning for worship. If you're watching at home because you decided to stay at home and watch the football, well, God bless you. Uh, you will see in the bulletin that this week is holiday at home, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. We're welcoming 30 guests. Delighted to be able to be doing that. If you'd like to join us for prayer for holiday at home at 9 o'clock on Tuesday, Thursday and Friday morning, you're very welcome to come down and join with us in prayer before the session starts, 9 o'clock, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday morning. And lastly, many of you will, will have uh, been aware that Ray Shaw died yesterday, uh, deeply loved, greatly respected member of the church. So let's spend a moment in quiet. But we thank you for Ray, we, we bless you for him, for all that he has been and all that he's done, all that he means to us. And we pray for Jenny and the children and ask for your peace and your healing and your grace to be with them. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, we pray. Amen. Amen. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 67 and it's a responsive a reading, can I invite you to join together in the words in yellow, please? God, be merciful to us and bless us. Look on us with kindness, so that the whole world may know your will, so that all nations may know your salvation. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy because you judge the peoples with justice and guide every nation on earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The land has produced its harvest. God, our God, has blessed us. God has blessed us. May people everywhere honour him. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. Jesus, Hope of the Nations, Jesus, Yeah. 
Father, Son and Holy Spirit, thank you that you welcome us into your presence this morning. We believe, we believe that you created each and every one of us. We believe that you are the Lord of all nations. We welcome your sovereignty in our lives and in this place as we gather to worship here today. Whether we're here in person or online or with Christians all over the world, thank you that together we are your family. Bless you that we are your children. Thank you for making us brothers and sisters. Thank you for the unity that we enjoy in you. Amen. And as God's family, can I invite you to join together with me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. It's a prayer that's designed to be said together. starts, Our Father. There is that sense of inclusion, of belonging. There is that sense of responsibility towards each other. Give us this day our daily bread. The mutual forgive us our trespasses as we forgive each other and supporting each other in our fight against temptation and helping God in the task of delivering people from evil. It's a prayer that joins us together in God's family. And who's excluded from God's kingdom? We would want to say, I think, nobody, wouldn't we? There was a time when Jesus said to his disciples, let's go north. They never went north. They only went south from Galilee to Jerusalem. What was north? Syria. Most of the disciples had never been to Syria before in their life. Some of the important people made the trek north, but they never had. And Jesus said, come on, today we're going north. And uh, they didn't just go north. They went to, to Tyre and to Sidon. And Jesus had denounced Tyre and Sidon earlier on in his ministry. He'd compared these cities to Sodom, which is about as bad as you can get in terms of proverbial wickedness. And yet when Jesus needed a break from the Pharisees, who were giving him a hard time, that's where he decided to go. And though most of the disciples had probably never been there before, no idea why they were going there, they went with him. And it has to be said that the visit didn't go very well. Before they even entered one of these cities, there was this woman. And she was shouting and screaming and yelling at them, following them around, making a disturbance. And they were really quite upset by her behaviour. And they asked a passerby, who is she? Oh, she's a local Canaanite woman, they said. She's got a daughter with all sorts of problems. A Canaanite woman. That was the last thing they needed. If you were a good Jew, brought up on the law of Moses, you would know that Moses had taught that the only good Canaanite is a dead Canaanite. They'd been told to wipe them, eradicate them for the surface of the earth, every man, woman and child, because the Canaanites practiced such abominable behaviour. 
Hardliners would say the only reason that woman was still in existence was because of the failure of Israelite foreign policy in the past. And yet here she was, coming after them, yelling at them, screaming them, demanding their attention, calling out, Jesus! Lord! Son of David! Have mercy on my daughter. A daughter seriously ill. A daughter badly afflicted by a demon. A daughter nobody could help. But she cries out and begs to Jesus to sort her daughter out because she knows that as son of David and as Lord, he is able to do that. The only one who can help. And yet... Despite her pleas, Jesus ignored her. He refused to acknowledge her existence. He didn't respond to her cries for help. He stayed silent. The only person talking was the woman as she continued to implore him to help her. And the disciples said, can't you send her away? Can't you get rid of her? Come on, she's an embarrassment to us. She's making things worse for us. This is awful. Can't you, can't you just sort her out? Can't you, can't you do something just to, to, to get her out of our hair? Can't you, can't you, you know, get rid of her somehow? And Jesus said, no, I can't. I'm not supposed to do that. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she's a Canaanite from Tyre and Sidon. And this was a personal comment to make. Jesus often had a great deal of compassion for the people of Israel. He compared them like sheep scattered, lost, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And if you read the prophet Joel, you will see that it was the people of Tyre, historically, who were responsible for that, who'd attacked the people of Israel, taken them into captivity, sold them as slaves abroad, scattering them among the nations, selling children to, to pay for prostitutes and wine. Yes, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and the people of Tyre were those who had oppressed them and ravaged them and destroyed them in the past. This was a loaded comment that he was making. I was sent to Israel, not to this woman. But the woman didn't go away. She didn't leave them. She came right up. She fell on her knees in front of Jesus and said, Lord, please help me. And even in the face of this appeal, Jesus said, no. <laughs> no. That would be like taking bread out of the mouths of hungry children and giving it to the dogs. Why would you do that? Why would you give the children's bread to dogs? It's not what I came to do. It's not what I'm here for. I haven't come for you. I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the woman replied, but Lord, <laughs> you know that children are messy eaters. You know all the crumbs that they make. Don't the dogs 
get to eat the crumbs that are swept off their master's table onto the floor? Don't they get to lick the floor and take the crumbs that have been wasted? And Jesus said, woman, wow, your faith is amazing. Okay, okay, be on your way. You've got what you wanted. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. I'd like you, just for a few moments, round your tables to reflect on that story. Put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples watching this going on. How do you feel? What's your reaction and response to the woman and the way Jesus treats her? Be part of the scene. Just share together. What's your reaction to the story? Over to you for the next few minutes to talk together.
Can I call you back, please? Thank you. This is, um, this is a story that we struggle with, I think, for a couple of reasons. The first is that we find it difficult to get away from the impression that Jesus' first response to this woman is actually racist. No, I'm not going to help you because you're not Jewish. That's the gist of what he says. You're not a member of Israel, therefore I didn't come for you. Go away. Some people, I mean, this makes us very uncomfortable as Christians. A lot of people say, well, Jesus is just cracking a joke with her. If you'd have been there, you'd seen the wink and the smile. And she's in on the joke, which is why she picks up the metaphor of dogs eating crumbs and stuff. But I, I'm not convinced. I'm only joking. It's just one of the feeblest excuses there is, isn't there, for trying to compensate for something really nasty or wrong that we've been saying. So we struggle with that. And then we struggle with... Jesus changes his mind. How, do, how and why does that happen? You know, this is Jesus, you know, of all people. He should know what he's about. He should know what's right and what's wrong. And yet, as a result of this, this conversation with this woman, he changes his mind. Why is this story in our Gospels? How do we make sense of it? And one way in which we can do so is that we can say this story is told because it reflects a time when the church was in a period of transition. Recognising that views that they had cherished over centuries that were grounded in scripture about other people were racist. And they were having to come to terms that actually, that was wrong. That was wrong. They themselves were changing. And this story of Jesus encountering the woman and his mind being changed by the woman is the story of the church finding their prejudices unravelling before their very eyes. It's there because this reflects the church's own experience. What happened to Jesus reflects what the church was struggling to work through. Why did Jesus go to Tyre and Sidon? We're not told. We told him he kind of withdrew. He'd had this confrontation with the Pharisees. He wanted to go somewhere quiet, which obviously he didn't get because this woman was there. He only goes up, sees her and comes straight back again. Uh, he's hardly there any time at all. But I'm reminded, reading this story, because Jesus compares Tyre and Sidon to Sodom, I'm reminded of God going down to Sodom in Genesis and saying, I'm going down to Sodom just to see what's there and see if it's as really as bad as, as, the, as I've heard. And it was. But Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon, is it really as bad as I've heard? Oh my word, it wasn't. Because there was this woman there who recognised him as the son of David, who acknowledged him as Lord, who gave the kind of response to him that many people in his own country hadn't given. And so against all expectations, he recognises her faith and heals her daughter. And so for people reading this story, they would have to think, okay, the church was confronted with the truth that you cannot judge a person on the basis of their nationality or where they come from, which was the initial response to this woman. 
That's racism, pure and simple. And along with any other kind of prejudice, has no place in the kingdom of God. It's a story which challenges prejudice, which is so easily accepted, so easily buried, and so difficult to recognise when it's in our own hearts and lives. Let's pray. Lord, the Canaanite woman sought your help. And she loved her daughter so much, she was desperately in need and she wouldn't give up till she had her answer. And may we learn from this woman to wait on you, to pray to you expectantly, patiently, persistently, doggedly. Give us the courage of our convictions when we truly believe that what we're asking for needs to happen. Enable her to have, enable us to have her kind of faith. And as we think of the way in which initially she was denied and excluded, we pray for those who are excluded, whatever the reason, whatever their situation, for those who are the victims of discrimination, for prisoners. For refugees, for those who are homeless, for those who are sick, mentally unstable, old and frail, any who for whatever reason feel that they are outsiders. So Lord, we come to you and ask that when our faith is weak, you would make it strong. And we come to you and ask that you would help us not to exclude others. And we come to you and ask that you would assure us that you include us in your family and kingdom. We pray it in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The group are going to lead us by singing Kyria Eleison.
going to read some words from John chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. As I read them, I ask you to reflect on the way in which Jesus himself suffered and experienced rejection. And yet, when we welcome him, he welcomes us as God's children. Though he was rejected himself, we find acceptance when we put our trust in him. John says the true light that shines on everyone was coming into the world. The word was in the world, but no one knew him, though God had made the world with his word. He came into his own world, but his own nation didn't welcome him. Yet some people accepted him and put their faith in him, so he gave them the right to be the children of God. In a world of rejection, Christ becomes the place of acceptance. We can all experience rejection for any one of a host of reasons. It feels like everyone has turned their back on us and walked away. Something, anything that marks us out as different is enough to make people shun us. Sometimes we know very well why they're giving us a hard time. Other times we don't even know or understand. It's just something that they do. One of my hopes and prayers for this morning is that if you've struggled with that kind of rejection in the past, then this morning you might know what it means to experience the loving wholehearted acceptance of God in Christ. I'm going to invite you, if you would like to, or you might like to get somebody else to do it on your behalf. On the tables either side are some pebbles. Can I invite you to take one or more of those pebbles? And these will represent things that have been said to you in the past that are hurtful, or wrong, or untrue, or rejecting, or discriminatory. Take the pebble, acknowledge it, come and drop it in the bucket, either side of the central table, and on the central table there is a little card saying, Child of God. And I invite you to pick that up and take that back to your chair to drop into the bucket the wrong identity that people have tried to pin on you and take back to your chair the true identity that God gives you in Christ, that you are a child of God. You're not going to be on camera for this, so don't worry that everyone's going to come and see you going up to the front. As, as we start to do this, uh, we're going to listen to the, the tune of the song, uh, I Am a Child of God. And after we've played that through, we're going to sing it and we'll carry on playing it through then until you're done. So please don't sit there all morning waiting for somebody else to go first, otherwise we'll have played it through, sung it and finished playing it through and no one would have moved. So take your time, but don't be slow about it. As we start to play, come and take a pebble, drop it in the bucket, take a card, go back and embrace the truth that in Christ you are a child of God. If you want someone else to do that for you, please invite them to do so.
Can I invite you to embrace that identity? God accepts and welcomes us all. God accepts and welcomes you. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. And the Canaanite woman is a test of that. The end of the day, she found acceptance. Jesus overturned centuries of prejudice when he welcomed the Canaanite woman and healed her daughter. Could a Canaanite be a follower of Jesus? Yes, the woman shows it's possible. And there she was, right in front of his eyes. These days you don't meet many Canaanites. But then again, there are other people who struggle to find acceptance, who often encounter rejection or hostility from God's people. Simon, you're a member of the LGBT community. You've been coming here with your husband for a few weeks now. You've kindly agreed to share with us something of your experience. Uh, do you want to share what it's been like for you and how this, the woman's encounter with Jesus, how that resonates with, with your experience? Thank you. Christian man who identifies as being gay. LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people constitute a portion of the population in the UK, 1.1 million out of 56.8 in 2017, that often experience prejudice and exclusion by people in many parts of the world, such as women and Canaanites and Samaritans and Gentiles did in Jesus' time, until he defined the way in his second great commandment in Matthew chapter 22 of universal love for all, by all, in love your neighbour as yourself. My initial response to Tim was that I've been very greatly blessed never to have experienced personal prejudice and homophobia to my face since I came out to my family, friends and work colleagues over two decades ago at age 45, and in fact if you met the fiercely protective and very loving Singaporean mother of my husband, you wouldn't, you, well, neither you nor his extended, extended family would dare um, prejudice. My marriage, which was necessarily undertaken at the British consulate in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, as Singapore doesn't allow it, even at the British High Com, which is UK territory there, is not recognised in Singapore. So that, in the event that either of us was warded in intensive care, the other has no automatic visiting rights as a family member. I wasn't allowed to be part of a small gathering of five at his parents' house in the early days of COVID because I wasn't a family member. I couldn't even continue to work there after retirement on a spousal visa as I'm not legally recognised as a spouse, which is why I'm here in Horsham. Sadly, 
there are very many cases of deeply Christian Singaporean parents who throw their children out of the house to become homeless, often within hours, if, as and when, they summon up the courage to come out as LGBT and finally be their authentic selves. And I'm not talking of a case I knew about three or four years ago. This is a regular occurrence. My husband was stopped from serving in his original church in response to a sermon on truthfulness almost immediately after he decided to indeed be truthful about being LGBT and was asked to move on. A number of us who were excommunicated from prejudiced, intolerant, excluding churches in Singapore two decades ago met and established our own church there with pastoral support from the first Asian bishop of the Methodist Church in Singapore and Malaysia who was then himself excommunicated from the Singapore Council of Churches for this. Our church was founded to provide a safe haven, sanctuary, love, mentorship, counselling and support to the very many lost and feeling, lost and feeling unloved, very often young LGBT and inclusive LGBT supporting Christians in Singapore. Happy to say that the church now averages a weekly physical congregation between 120 and 150 and very more globally online. Homophobia and all other kinds of prejudice on the grounds of age, belonging to an indigenous people, colour, disability, economic grounds, education level, ethnic or social origin or caste, gender identity or sexual orientation has no place in the kingdom of God which, to which I hold fast. Shonglip and I came here by chance, or more likely by God's wonderful guiding hand, on the Sunday after Easter this year. We sat in the back row and Tim then preached on inclusivity for all, including, amongst others, the LGBT community. I was really impressed by this. He's only met us 15 minutes previously, so that was pretty responsive and very personalised. Obviously, God was now shining a Damascene light, shaft of light on him and all of us. In closing, to all of you here, physically and virtually, I have been to innumerable church buildings supporting numerous shades and flavours of Christianity in my 48 years of bimbling around the world. Nowhere, not one church has had a congregation as open, welcoming, friendly and inclusive as all of you. We've been bowled over, and in Singapore the expression is, I so stunned like a vegetable. I'm not quite sure why, but that's the Singapore expression. And cannot tell you how much it has meant to us, as part of a sub-community that's widely and historically discriminated against, and who've experienced personal and epistemic in Singapore constitutional prejudice and exclusion. Experiencing you all just walking up to us, even in the car park over Brighton Road before we even get through the door, week after week, introducing yourselves and simply having a normal conversation with us, unencumbered by personal interpretations as what Jesus really meant, but rather accepting of all those who welcome Jesus and believe in him and who are all God's children, has been truly humbling. 
thank you from both of us, John Lippis now in Valencia, for your true Christianity and being visible examples by doing of the love of Christ. Bless you, Simon. Thank you for your honesty and being willing to share that with us. I know this church. I can reckon there are probably three responses to that. There are those who are saying, hallelujah, glory. We said it was our vision to welcome anyone and everyone, and we are fulfilling our calling. This is what we should be doing. Because we are an inclusive church, we have people right the way across the theological spectrum. There'll be people going, oh no, why did Tim allow Simon to speak from the front? What was he thinking of? Have we crossed a line here somewhere along the line? And some of you will be quite disturbed, actually, by what I've invited Simon to share this morning. That sense of disturbance, can I say, mirrors what the disciples would have felt when they encountered the Canaanite woman. And that shows the power of the word of God actually to destabilise our preconceptions and to challenge us at quite a profound level. Let God do that. And there'll be those of you going, oh, I really don't know, but I'm going to welcome Simon and Shonglip and anybody else who comes. Because that's what God is calling me to do. And can I say, that's grace. That's God's grace at work in and through us as God's people. And we should welcome that. With any contentious issue, we need grace and love. You read the papers, you see what's going on in different denominations and in the Baptist church as well. Grace and love are what we need in abundance. Simon, I'm delighted that you found that here with us over the past weeks. Thank you. I'd like to lead us in a meditation written by Richard Raw. Just going to have some slides come up and I'll read them and give a few moments to reflect on each slide as we work our way through. Lord, lover of life, lover of these lives, lover of our souls, lover of our bodies. lover of all that exists. In fact, it's your love that keeps it all alive. Love. May we live in this love. May we never doubt this love. May we know that we are love. That we were created for love. that we are a reflection of you. 
that you love yourself in us. And therefore, we are perfectly lovable. May we never doubt this deep and abiding and perfect goodness. That we are because you are. Let's close by standing to sing in Christ alone.
study in the service, we thought about how the Lord's Prayer is an inclusive prayer, one that we say together. The words of the grace are also inclusive, words that we say together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.